This is AV Week, September 16th, 2011. Everyone, stay calm. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It is time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of news and commentary for the AV industry. I'm your host, Tim Albright. With us today, for the very first time, a very warm welcome to Sarah Abrams. She is the editor of Ray Publications. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, with us again is also Richard Fergoza. He is R.A. Fergoza. Tim, how you doing? Glad to be back. Appreciate being uh, back on the panel again. Thank you. And also with us is Phil Cordell. He is the AV professional. Hello, Phil. What's happening, Tim? Thanks for having me, man. Hmm? Uh, this is a special edition. It's, the, it's We're going to call it the CDA wrap-up or the CDA special. All three of you went. Uh, I did not. So we're going to we're gonna kind of kick it off to you. It was held this year in Indianapolis. Uh, according to CDA, uh, 17,000, a little over 17,000 uh, people attended. 400 exhibitors from 70 different countries. Uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Sarah. Cedia is kind of the infocom for Resi. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. So what was your impressions? Um, well, it was pretty good attendance. A lot of, uh, I think it's worth noting that it's down from the last two years, which were over 20,000 in attendance. But uh, most manufacturers, I didn't hear any complaints they said that the attendees were very well qualified and they didn't have as many end users or anything showing up. So I think manufacturers are pretty happy, but the attendance was a little bit down. And I think it's also worth noting, since I attended Infocom this year, that uh, at Infocom I felt like we were kind of on the upswing from the recession. Like it felt it went up from 2010, and I would not really feel like I felt that way about Cedia, so, which is kind of expected. The residential market's going to take a little longer to recover, but those are my general impressions about the the attendance and the feel of the show. Now, Richard, would you would you take that same same approach and that same look? Do you think it's it's because of the, of the recession and everything? I, I think it's two part. Um, you know, one of the interesting things uh, about CDF for me is that this was my first time back since two thousand three, and uh, I had an eight year layoff. Uh, so the last time oh. I was there, uh, it was definitely lots and lots of people. And and the differences that I noticed in in prior uh, CDF expos was that. A company would basically bring almost their entire company. Uh, so not only would it be the principals, managers, and decision makers, but an installer, a technician, a helper. And what I noticed this year, although the attendance numbers are down, what I discovered during conversations was that it was primarily more the decision makers, the principals of the company, uh, and the people who were helping chart the progress of their companies as opposed to it, it being an, a nice trip that they would bring their employees along with yeah. uh, to, to enjoy. Because there, there is a, a festive and a, and a social atmosphere to Cedia, which is slightly different than some other professional trade shows that I've been to. Is it, uh, is it as festive as Infocom is? I mean, because that, that's, that's my, only, my, my only exposure to trade shows for the industry. I would say, yeah. And again, because we're, you know, you have fellows coming from the residential side, uh, you have smaller organizations. So you have two man shops, five man shops, you know, 15 man shops, as opposed to seeing AVI, SPL, who brings, 
you know, practically their own zip code with them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so there is um, friendships, I guess, would be a, a more interesting way of saying it between the companies that occur. Uh, and the uh, relationship with the manufacturers is, is slightly different because it is not a pro market. Um, and so you have people coming from very, very different walks of life uh, into the, the ESC uh, uh, market these days. Hmm. The, what, the what now? We, uh, CD has requested the we uh, no longer refer to ourselves as custom installers in a, in a way to uh, kind of branch out who we are and what we do. We now uh, do tend to refer to ourselves as ESCs, ESCs. electronic systems contractors. So you're an ESC. I'm an ESC. I'm an ESCI. You're an ESC. In an ESCI. <laughs> an ESCI. Okay. Phil, are That's you an ESCI? NS- oh, go ahead. That's what NSCA has been calling its members. Is ESCs? ESCs, yeah. ESCs. Hmm. It sounds like an, it sounds like a basketball team from the, the Big Ten. <laughs> or some form of award. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for this ESCI. <laughs> I'd like to thank all the little people. Phil. You, you, go ahead. Yo, yo. How was your experience at Cedia? It was great, man. Uh, you know, apart from the identity confusion, I think we're all trying to find ourselves now in this ESC world. <laughs> You know, it kind of shakes it up. But, uh, but man, I had a blast at Cedia. We were just in and out, uh, pretty much just spent a little bit of Thursday night in Indy and spent our day there Friday. And, uh, and it was a good time, man. Uh, as was mentioned, there are a whole lot of, you know, great, cool little mom-and-pop stands kind of around the, the peripheral of, of the floor. And uh, it's really cool to see everybody engaged in that, and they, everybody wants to take the time to, to pitch their products to you, and, yeah. and, you know, they'd love for you to spec it in. But there's definitely a feeling of camaraderie, and I, I think that's almost bolstered by the fact that the economy is hurting the way it is, and we really need to, uh, to kind of nurture these relationships that, that you know, we're kind of interdependent upon to, uh, to get out there and do business together. So, uh, so I think there's a really good sense of teamwork and of, of uh, camaraderie, and I dig that, man. Well, that, that is important because, you, I mean, it, it's – I hate to say an, a symbiotic relationship because that it lends itself to some negative – connotations but what it is because as as the manufacturers do better and, and they create better products you guys do better as as commercial integrators or eskies as it were as, 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 yeah. uh, and it uh, it definitely lends itself i think that when we, i think we were speaking about it uh a couple of weeks ago about the need for collaboration as opposed to competition and I think the, the economic change has forced us to really evaluate our business models that I can't necessarily stand off on an island anymore. These are fellows who, coming together as a project, as an industry, uh, we need to be more willing to share with one another. And that's what I really took away from the show, is that there was a lot more openness in terms of dialogue uh, with people that were a lot more, that was a lot more honest than, say, eight years ago, where everybody was more impressed about proving who they were and... This last one was more about how do we get through this together. Hmm. That is impressive. Um, Matt Scott has joined us. He's he's gotten himself a hold of a, of a solid internet connection. How are you, Matt? Yay! Matt is doing well. Lansing is a spotty AT and T coverage zone. Just in case you're wondering. Okay, spotty and AT and T is is <laughs> is a redundant statement. Matt, yeah, that, that's a feature. That's a feature. They that's create. a feature. I know. I it's know. a feature they'll add to if they get <laughs> if they get T-Mobile. Uh, Matt, how was your your CD experience? Yes. My CD was really good. I was I was there uh, for pretty much the entire show. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it, and kind of have to you know 
just kind of agree with what Phil and uh, Rich were saying. And sorry if Sarah had already spoken. I missed that. Um, bad coverage and all. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing for me was um, just, uh, again, really seeing that, uh, you know, we've really come together as an industry to really help, you know, essentially help each other out and, you know, just really be more honest. That, that was, you know, you put it perfectly, man. Um, honesty is really what I would, would, what I would say was the biggest takeaway for me, um, as far as dealing with, you know, vendors and reps and, uh, you know, all the manufacturers and stuff is that less was on, you know, well, you know, please come work with us and do X amount of dollars. It was more of, you know, you tell us what you, what you need and we'll be there behind you as much as we can to help you do that and accomplish that goal, which, you know, Again, it was something that was was really neat for me to see, um, being as this was only my second CDA, uh, is just it's very encouraging to see that as opposed to just strictly like a dollar and cent point of view that yeah. a lot of the you know reps and manufacturers have had in the past. Hmm. Okay, so all of you had a, had a good time. It sounds like there's a, a lot more collaboration and a lot more. Um... Not handholding and, and, and kumbaya, but hey, let's kind of work together and we can work through this this uh, this recession together. Uh, Sarah, you you went to both. You went to Entrocom and CDU. What was was there something yeah. that you that kind of jumped out at you when it comes to a product that maybe you didn't see at Infocom? A product at CDU that I didn't see at Infocom. Yeah, that kind of jumped out at you or wowed you or knocked your socks off. Um. Well, honestly, I didn't think there was like one specific technology that really jumped out at Cedia this year. Um, a couple themes I saw, I guess, were there's a lot of retrofitty type applications, especially wireless audio mm-hmm. um, and some more affordable products like the Lutron Shades, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot. Um, of course, the 4K projectors are new kind of to the Cedia market because we saw a prototype last year from JVC, but this is the first time that both Sony and JVC brought those products to market. And we've seen those in the commercial market for a couple of years also, but um, it was pretty noteworthy to see those at CDA this year. So I think technologically that's probably the most like interesting thing. But um, So the 4Ks are, yeah. are, are working their way into, into the residential realm. They are. Hmm. They're shipping this fall. Very cool. Matt, what was uh, what was one product or something that that you saw that kind of jumped out at you? The the biggest thing that I saw um, was definitely the Lutron shade. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's and I am a Lutronite. I'm a you know huge Lutron fan, so I'm probably slightly jaded. But to me, that was probably the biggest thing. the The concern I have with seeing um, like the 4K projectors, as cool as they are, uh, we still don't have any content for it. So I. I can't get overly excited about something that is going to be really, really hard for me to sell. It, it reminds me the same as when we first got Blu-ray players in Canada. There was like six different discs in the entire country that we could get. So it was like, all right, buy this really expensive, cool new thing, but you're not going to have anything to watch on it for quite a while. And, you know, I know a lot of that is just Canada and whatnot, but... Um, for me, the biggest thing was definitely the Lutron shade. And the reason I say that is because, you know, it's not insanely, you know, that revolutionary in the sense that it's, you know, it's another motorized shade. Um, it is a cell shade. I don't know if anyone else is actually making, 
cellular motorized shades at this point. But the biggest thing to me is that not only is it a you know motorized shade that's two ninety nine, it's a wireless motorized shade that's two ninety nine. It's something that I can go and sell, um, you know, tomorrow to really any of my customers. It doesn't have to be just the high end customers that I currently sell shades to, because you can go to Home Depot and buy a cell shade that's going to be two hundred bucks. That's just a regular, you know, semi custom off the shelf cell shade. I can give you a motorized one for an extra hundred bucks, or you know, whatever it works out to be. Yeah. In the end, it, it opens a huge, huge market that you know we can get in and sell with because you know as much as we'd love to think that every single one of our customers is totally digging you know that fifty thousand hundred thousand dollar media room most of them aren't but there are tons of people that we can you know start on the automation phase with you know a product like this that we can literally get in and get out for not next to nothing because you know still a couple hundred bucks but it's really next to nothing Okay. So that was probably the biggest thing for me, it, for, and I'm done my Lutronite spiel. I, I am not a shade <laughs> guy, so so I understand my question. What is a cell, cellular shade, shade? A cellular shade is the uh, it's the honeycomb style shade okay. that kind of goes up and down. It, it's it's not a pleated shade necessarily, but it kind of is. It's it's your standard you know honeycomb that they sell at the depot that they sell just about anywhere. Okay. So it's not like some some real new fancy technology. It's just the type no. of material. Okay. No. Now the wireless side that they brought is is, is the, the new fact phase. That it's okay. wireless and it runs on standard batteries. Excellent. Uh, Actually, I have a question for you, Matt, about those as an yes. integrator. Um, the two ninety nine version is actually the one they're going to be selling retail. That's a retail cost. And, and um, it's, a, it's an. Well, I was just Sorry, I was curious if. Uh, as an integrator, you feel any concern about the fact that motorized wireless shades are now a product available to, like, online or in Home Depot to your customers? Um, I'm not be I'm not really because there, it's not something that too many people are going to go and get themselves. Mm -hmm. it, it's the same as the fact that you can technically go buy, you know, a URC MX450 or something like that, which is one of the you know entry level remotes that we occasionally will stock, um, you can go buy that anywhere. You can go buy a Harmony. And yeah, there's, there's always going to be people who are going to try and do what we do themselves and more power to them. It, you know, it is good for the industry because um, it just brings more awareness. But the difference will be is they may get those shades. And even if they go to the Home Depot and buy three of those shades and get them with the little you know basic IR remote, that's great. Because down the road when they look at it, and, you know, they're looking at another shade or they got the brochure and they go, oh, I can integrate this with all my lighting. Well, I don't think I have the lighting to do that, but that would be really cool. And then they're going to call someone like me or, you know, any other ESC out there. And, you know, it, it just starts a conversation. It's for me, it's one of those things where shading has been a not unattainable thing, but it's such a steep entry point that only mm -hmm. the highest of our customers really actually buy it. We yeah. spec it a lot, and they look at it, and it's always the first thing to get cut because, you know, it's $1,600 a window. Oh. So, or, and not always, but, you know, that's a really good base starting point that we usually tell. And again, I'm Canadian, so my numbers may be off for all of our American friends. <laughs> um, but, you know, even if it's, you know, twelve to $1,600 a window, that can get very pricey very quickly. Yeah, because you're not so going to do just one window. 
Yeah. No, no, you're always going to do two, <laughs> three, four, whatever. So it, it instantly becomes, you know, and honestly, the people who are buying uh, motorized shades, they're not buying the entry level fabrics. They're buying mm-hmm. the cool stuff. They're buying all the, you know, gallery collection or whatever it is. So yeah, those numbers do get up there pretty quick. So if they're able to buy something and just open the market, I think um, I was speaking with David Weinstein, who is their product developer and head of their shading department. He told me, and he was supposed to get back to me with the exact numbers, and I don't think he had yet, um, but it's something like there's 180 million windows and households in America that fit the price point and the market point that they're marketing these shades to. And that's that's just a ridiculous number of opportunities. And yeah, not everyone's going to buy it. Not everyone's going to want it. But if they're able to attain it and get their hands on it, that's, again, that's just better for us. It's just like lighting. The more people that know that they can actually automate their lights, it doesn't matter if they're buying Crestron, Vantage, Lutron, whatever. The more people that know, it just opens the market for all of us. I think Matt brings up a good point, and I think it probably be summed into, up into the fact that it's a value-added service. Again, it is another way for an AV integrator and ESC to come back to a client, to find a new client. And, and again, the, the, the concern always is, gosh, a new product's coming in. It's going to decimate our industry. We're going to lose profitability. Um, you know, the iPad, that was the first thing. You know, the sky's falling because the iPad has come through. Um, it's saved some companies oh, in yeah, some respects. And it, you know, when we talked about it earlier about the, you know, getting away from the us versus them approach, which was yeah. embracing an entry-level approach or a consumer-level approach as a method to educating them to what else is available. And Matt did nail it. I mean, you're talking at twelve to fifteen hundred dollars per window. Not only that, but you need an electrician. You you need yeah. to get wire to it. So it is a construction project to put in a shade in a, in an, an existing home. Okay, so, is, so hang on for a second, and I'll ask all three of uh, the integrators here, um, or Eskies. Um, so let's say that the, the, the shade on average, let's say it's $1,500. I don't care if it's Canadian or, or American. It's irrelevant at this point. <laughs> uh, and I don't have a calculator in front of me. Uh, so Rich raised the good point with the electrician. How much then more is that going to cost me? Is that $1,500 just the product? Does it include the labor of, of the electrical contractor I have to pay, or is that the 1500 bucks? that's it? Well, I think the number represents more of an all-in number no, go ahead. when people are, are budgeting. You know, because the first question is, how much does it cost? Yeah. You know, you, you never want to do the, well, it's this, but then, you know, but wait, there's more mm. uh, yeah. at the end of the bill. And so the... Uh, and Matt can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the budget estimates tend to be that is along with paint patch, electrician, you know, what your rough number is going to be in order to perform some form of window covering okay. over this specific area. Yeah, and, and that's exactly where like our 1600 uh, starting point comes from because, you know, most of our shades will start somewhere in the 12 to 1300 range. Um, I know with the shades, the shading line that we offer from Lutron, um, most times we don't technically actually need an electrician because it's just low voltage yep. going up to the shade and then plugging in outside. If we're doing larger stuff, that's a, another story. Um, but that's another story. Uh, you know, so we usually say, yeah, 1600 is a good ballpark and it's going to cover, you know, your entry shade, depending on size, it's going to be, you know, 
your installation time and you know any repairs that need to happen and then of course the sky is really the limit from there because they can they can go like we can meet a designer who says you know what i have this perfect swatch from a couch you know we were going to do shades we can you know find a a product to use that swatch and make that work for them if they have the budget for it we can do it so yeah you know it is it's an expensive product but not anymore no not anymore now we can come in and again a cell shade is definitely different than you know a motorized roller or a curbe or um, you know, a motorized Venetian. Yeah, but, it is but a, a Harman, but a Harman um, remote control is much different than a TPS 6X from Crestron. Oh, exactly. And, and that's what's so great about it is because we can start and just start down that line. Yeah. Like I know, I know a lot of Lutron dealers who, you know, we all push shades very heavily because we know how not only cool they are, but how energy efficient and all this other stuff that we can go on about. But it's such a hard sell beat just because of the price point. Hmm. So, again, the ability to have something like this that, you know, whether it starts at, and that 299 is an actual just retail cost that doesn't include installation. But when it's wireless, it's, I think Andre told me it was like four screws, five screws for the standard size window. That's, you know, that's half an hour. So you bill your customer an hour. Our two ninety nine window just became, you know, say three ninety nine or whatever, you know, you guys are charging uh, per hour. But you know, three ninety nine to get a window installed, done, out the door, yeah. really is not bad. Not, not to you, mention, yeah. I was gonna say, not to, not when you compare it to sixteen hundred bucks. So no, no, it's yeah. it's and you know, to be honest, like uh, as I'm sure every other ESC does, we deal a lot with uh, the designers. And most of the shades that the designers end up specking, they're not $1,600, but they're not 150 yeah. Like the average, you know, our average customer that's working with a designer is spending some good money on drapery products and shading. So when, as soon as, like I know I showed this to, <clears throat> excuse me, one of our designers that we work with uh, yesterday, and she was blown away when I told her the price. She's like, I can use this on every job. Heck, half the blinds that, you know, we, we can spec a blind from Ikea that costs more than this. And I'm like, yeah, you, <laughs> well, you can. Th- that is, that, is, that, is, that is Ikea. The, is that the Farfic Nugent version? Oh, all right, the, stop. Yes. Exactly. All right. <laughs> we've, we've got 4K projectors. We have really cool, really inexpensive shades. Phil, what was one thing from Cedia that kind of knocked your socks off? Well, I mean, I think I was more or less overwhelmed by the number of, uh, of people rolling out, you know, Android apps and, you know, an integration of mobile and, and tablet. I mean, I think we all know that it's coming and, and it's here, you know, uh, and that's something, you know, that was really a, a super bread and butter item of the establishment for a long time. And now, you know, everybody's in on it. And, and I think, you know, it's pretty obvious that that's kind of the wave of the future, but, you know, everybody from, you know, Zantac that I've, I'm used to using just their IR emitters, honestly, <laughs> that's what I use. <laughs> But they, you know, they got all kinds of stuff, man. In wall stuff for your pads, and you know, it's uh, it's just crazy. So is that something you of... see as as kind of a of a savior, or is that a you know, oh my gosh, here comes Android and all these cheap cheap controllers? No, I mean, I I, I think it's inevitable, and it uh, it doesn't bother me. To me, it's just like that's the future, and I I would expect that everybody's going to want to try to get a piece of that, you know. Um, so it it doesn't really bum me out at all. Uh, although, as a you know, a, a programmer myself, I'm, you know, I'm used to uh, 
to the traditional stuff, you know, programming up a, a regular touch panel. And I've had to kind of hone my chops for, for some of the mobile apps and things of that nature. And uh, it's fun, but you know, we fear change, right? Yeah, we do. ESC, everybody stay calm. It's okay. <laughs> you know, things, are, nice. things are changing, but it's okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So explain this. Uh, you guys keep using this and I, I've already forgotten. What does ESC stand for again? Electronic, Electronic Systems, Systems Contractor. As opposed to? Uh, you know, marble contractor. No, yeah, no, no, sure. no. What did you call yourselves before? Custom, uh, custom installer. installers. It custom used to be the CI market. The CI market. Custom now it's installation. Electronic custom systems. What was it again? ESC. <laughs> Electronic. Just Systems call us. Uh, I, I still contractor. refer to myself as the VCR repairman. So there we you know, go. Like, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I can, yeah, I, I can remember <laughs> that. I can hang it to you. Yeah, I answer to AV guy, TV guy. Hey, you. you know. <laughs> All right, we're talking with Sarah Abrams. Thank goodness, because I lose my mind. Here's Matt Scott, Richard Fergoza, and Philip Cordell. He is the AV professional. All four went to Cedia, uh, which was in Indianapolis this year. Uh, Richard, what was one of your takeaways from this year? Well, I'll take a quick 30 seconds. I, I broke mine down into three parts that I was looking at. Um, one was the entry-level consumer. One was my love, which is high-end audio and video. And then the last one was tools for the uh, ESC, or the custom installer. Um, you know, the the mass market appeal of these iPad interfaces, uh, everything from, you know, new wall mounts to um, you know, URC coming out with an iPad app, uh, you know, wireless AV. I mean, all of these entry points that, that we're finding that are, you know, new markets that I was talking about before where a, a ESC can come back and approach an existing client or potentially find a new client that they couldn't before because of the price points for some of these some of these products um on the higher end kaleidoscape uh you know they're now they just introduced their their new download store Hmm. that is a way for them to get blu-ray you know 1080p content directly onto the servers themselves and for me the kaleidoscape system in a performance audio video room or in a whole house is the one device that actually works. You're not cobbling things together. And once again, uh, you know, Michael Malcolm is looking at how to make this device give you the best audio and video performance and still meet what people are looking for, which is not necessarily having to go and buy physical media and then put it in a changer, which they have the new built-in changer as well, which uh, I was crazy about. You know, 4K and 4K, uh, <laughs> as they are calling it. <laughs> Uh, you know, again, you know, fantastic. You know, 3D, fortunately, I think they're starting to calm down on 3D. Thank goodness. And and they're returning to, we want to make this as bright and beautiful as possible. Runco's new projector was amazing. I totally agree. Amazing. And it was big, right? It was a cinema experience at home. Period. That was the best projector demo I've seen in eight years of CDA. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sarah, what made it so great? It was just like so bright. It was blinding. And they showed um, a really old movie, I think Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from the 50s. Oh, wow. And it just looked, it was so bright and so clear. And the scaling was beautiful. And then the 3D demo they did was also 
really fantastic. I think it's their brightness specs are confusing to me, but it's how they're saying 20,000 lumens in a 2D and 4,000 in 3D. And it just, I mean, it's a $200,000 projector, but wow. wow. Just at, unbelievable. At, at the end of the day, it was bright. And again, we're talking about these markets. We are still in, you know, there are still clients who are looking for that. And I think the fear in an economic downturn is to immediately shy away from that and to scale back your expectations when, you know, we got into this because we love it. And these are the pieces that, even if it's just a proof of concept to show to people, it winds up becoming the, okay, well, maybe that's out of my range, but what else is in there? And next thing you know, they're looking at the midline piece as opposed to coming in with a small level, you know, an Epson projector for $450. And that's really the only comparison that they have at that point. Wow. And, uh, you know, I was I was blown away by it. But I mean, other companies. I mean, JVCs was great. Digital Projections was great. Uh, Sim Two. Uh, Matt and I actually sat in on mm-hmm. a 3D demo. That again, they they are now moving into other refinements of the technology, and that's really what it is: refinements of existing technology that we're starting to see some differences. Um, you know, one of the things that that put a uh, was a warm spot for me was uh, kind of like the godfather it's uh, just when i thought i was out they they brought me back in <laughs> yeah. um the return of sandy gross who was the founder of definitive technology he's the guy who first made bipolar cool yeah. um, with his bipolar speakers he just launched a, a brand new company called golden ear um there was another company called solace who 20 years ago um uh, Phil Clements uh, from Clements Audio, he developed an in-wall speaker that used ribbon tweeters. This was 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, and I still have I, – I sold them. I was one of the first Solus dealers in the country. I returned to a job not more than about a year ago. Those things are still going strong. Uh, you know, aluminum baffles, the whole thing. I mean this was trend-setting stuff that yeah. we're still now only seeing trickling in at times. And uh, uh, who Kef had their blade speaker, which was beautiful. Um, I think Rave has some some photos and pictures of it. Uh, you know, so that's on the high end. But then in terms of developer tools and, and CI tools for ESCs, um, monitoring solutions, uh, networking solutions, access networks, uh, pre-configured residential network uh, systems. You know, here you go. Here's the entire kit. If you've got 50 network devices by the time you throw in your Apple TV and your iPad and your iPhone and your Kaleidoscape and your control system, we have a solution that allows you to go ahead and just plug it in and go that you can control as opposed to relying on an outside IT contractor. Wow. Um, uh, Claire Controls, again, another monitoring solution. They are the guys who have gotten a lot of press for being one of the first in the cloud control systems. Yeah. Great concept. Uh, I'm actually going to be putting one in my home. I, I think that it is something that we're going to see more and more of. Uh, they're just the first of many. And uh, and then, us, uh, who is it? Cyber Solutions. Again, another monitoring system with a graphical front end that you or your user can basically check the, the health of your system, which in these economic times, you know, we keep talking about service contracts and value-added uh, uses and, and ways to support a client. Well, these are also ways to, to prevent truck rolls, which for me, long-term savings with the integrators that I consult to, anytime that you can actually sell a product that on top of it prevents you from having to put uh, outlay, yeah. either in, in resources and manpower or cost, that's a win-win uh, at that point. And those those were 
And then the, the last one was um, uh, DTools just released uh, SI6, their, their system integration uh, drawing package. And, uh, you know, again, in Pro, documentation is king. Um, in Resi, you hope for it. And it, it is a tool that, again, in a drag-and-drop interface, allows for people who maybe aren't CAD proficient to be able to professionally put together their designs, uh, their as-builds, everything from their inventory tracking and pricing and proposals. And, you know, again, a, a phenomenal tool. And, and not just because uh, I, uh, Adam Stone, the, the CEO, is a, one of my dear, dear friends. It's a great product. <laughs> it's a great product besides that. Besides that. And, right. and the, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, and then autonomic controls. I don't know if you've heard of them. No. Uh, great product. Uh, basically an all-in-one music solution streaming box, which they're now adding video to, where uh, from an integrator standpoint, you know, works with Control 4, works with uh, uh, Crestron, AMX, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it prevents having seven boxes in a system. Wow. Uh, you know, so you can have your Pandora, your Sirius, your Spotify, uh, your iTunes, your licensed iTunes library and it synchronizes your libraries if you have multiple residences some people do imagine how, that how, how much is that rich entry point for a two zone system i believe is like 1999 uh, really? and that's with a 1 terabyte hard drive um, all of the music streaming services built in it will play either windows media or your uh, iTunes music there's a synchronization tool so you can just sync your music from your computer directly to the device. So anytime you rip a CD into your laptop or your PC, within about five minutes, it's already sitting there in your music program. I mean, it's, it's things that work. Again, much like Kaleidoscape, yeah. um, Autonomic is, is the, the sweetheart entryway of getting uh, music into a distributed room, uh, you know, in, a, in, in, a, in less of a headache of having, like I said, seven boxes. Yeah. You and I might have to talk after this. So, you know, you can, you can sell me one. Um, <laughs> no problem. As can Matt. He, well, as can Matt. Yes. You know, I'll, 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 I'll give each, each of you $1,000, and you can split it. So. Exactly. Ooh. Uh, good deal. <laughs> just don't tell my <laughs> wife. How about that? Um, all, all four of you guys, uh, obviously, Sarah does. Uh, she's the editor of, of Rave, huge, huge AV industry um, publication and, and, and blog. Uh, the rest of you guys are starting getting in. Um, Phil does the video and, and also does blogging. Uh, Matt and, and Rich, you guys also do some blogging. There's something that came across, I know, at least two of our desks um, that was an interesting um, piece of marketing. Let's put it that way. Um, it, it, what it was is it, it was an email, and I'm, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but it was an email directed to the email Person. So in other words, when I got one, it was directed to Tim. When Matt got one, it was directed to Matt. It says, thanks for, uh, we hope you enjoyed Cedia. Thanks for stopping by our booth. If you're going to blog about some stuff from Cedia, please mention us and our product. Uh, the only problem with this is the fact that, A, I didn't go to Cedia. When Matt got it, he hadn't stopped by these people's booth. Uh, is this an issue, guys, or is it just kind of just more annoying as, you know, a Cedia version of spam? I'll pipe in. Okay. I was livid, and and I was absolutely livid about this. I <laughs> I personally found it irresponsible, and and coincidentally enough, I received that email and immediately started writing about it. Uh, Uncle Richie was hot under the collar on that one. <laughs> Get him, Uncle <laughs> Richie. Richie. Says. <laughs> Richie says uh, it was unprofessional. Um, it was a 
And this was from a, a, a PR company. This yeah. was not even the manufacturer. Exactly. This was the manufacturer's public relations company. So that is what really uh, got to me more than anything else is that this was a manufacturer who basically just you know took the leash off of their PR company and, and they went nuts. And, and, uh, and I actually did respond in kind with this company and dealt with them uh, directly to – Kind of point out that you know you you really don't want to alienate your your customer, especially in this day and age. People very much don't like being talked at right now. Just out of curiosity, Rich, what was what was the company's response? Um, we're sorry, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that was about it. Okay, you know, really, uh, it was you know I, I didn't expect it to go that far. Uh, you know, maybe later it'll change, but I. I don't know that they necessarily expected, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many people actually responded in kind, but, uh, it, you know, it, it was disappointing, to say the least. Sarah, you guys, I, I remember when I was in, in radio, we used to get PR releases all the time. And for us, you know, it was it was something to write on the back of <laughs> more than anything. Is this something that you guys see a lot of or is this something new in the AV industry? Okay, honestly, when I saw this email, it took me a while to figure out what was offensive about it because I get so much stuff like this yeah. that I didn't even bat an eye. I mean, I get PR agencies sure. are just trying to manage their list. I don't know. I mean, I understand. I can tell you this is not even by far the most offensive PR stunt that I got regarding this CDA. What was? Like, <laughs> well, before the show, I got an email. I don't even remember what company it was. It was a small company, but they had a, a PR agency, I think a just one for the industry and they sent me an email that said thanks for your phone call i'm replying with an email about making a booth appointment um please let me know your availability and i never called or emailed them (laughs) that's wonderful it made you think yeah and then i was like (laughs) okay not replying and making a booth appointment with you obviously am i supposed to be meeting with them (laughs) maybe i am yeah it was very i was like um Yeah, I don't think that I made an appointment with you or called you because, I mean, people call me and then I respond. I don't call people proactively to make appointments usually. Um, So that was probably the worst I got. I mean, I get a lot of emails like this after shows that were like, sorry we missed you or when I did stop by or because they didn't scan my badge, which is all this is. They're... It's based on badge scanning and lists, and these people, they're even paying attention to what they're sending out. I think the hard thing was that as, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but we get a, a little bit of pre-show garbage that comes in, you know, come see this, come see that from companies that, you know, a lot of times I've never even heard of, uh, which is always good, good form. But, uh, you know, for you, Sarah, being a writer, I, I understand you getting a lot more of it than say we do as dealers but i gotta i gotta agree with rich the thing that was frustrating to me was that i'm not a right like yes i have a minor little shortage of a blog but yeah were you I'm guys not... registered as press because i'm surprised no. that they no we weren't no, that's, that's that weird point. to me because yeah, when i end up on a press list was... i get stuff like this but that's unusual yeah exactly yeah, no, and, we and were, i don't we want to say that you know is... you have a company as press, but, you know, as a press writer, of course, you know, they're yeah. going to send you everything and anything they can to try and get press. But to me as a dealer, granted, I, I already do not carry this company, but this did not make me want to carry this company at all. This is just one of those, like, you know, uh, again, this day and age where 
we have everybody and anybody vying for our time as dealers and trying to get us to buy from them, buy this, buy that, whatever. Um, this is just not a, like, to me, this is not a good play because it just, whether I'm, I don't think I was as upset as Rich was, but I got it and looked at it and said, what the heck is this? I didn't, I didn't stop by. I actually don't really like you guys anyways, but <laughs> if I did, this would just push, put me off even more. It would have been fine if they sent me an email saying, Hey, you know, if you're looking at some stuff, please look at our product because we'd love to work with you. That would have been one thing. Yeah. But the huge deal, write a blog and talk about how great we are. It's like, I would normally write a blog saying how bad you are and why the product I sell is better than your product. But this just like, it, it didn't make any sense to me. Well, let, me, let, sure let, me was, let me see if I can, I can kind of maybe put this in a nutshell. Uh, Sarah said this before you, you, you get a, a lot of press releases and Hey, you know, mention us or, or do this, that, and the other in the world of broadcasting, you get a lot of press requests and it is, you know, you get books sent to you, you get, you know, stuff like that. And maybe this is just the, it's a combination of two things. First of all, you have the world of blogging and, uh, it is evolving into an honest to goodness piece of journalism it is a journalistic arm of whatever industry it is that that you're covering whether that is the entertainment industry with with Huffington Post or it's the AV industry with with Rave Publications it's an it's it's a broadcast and a, and a journalistic entity that being the case it's going to get inundated and so maybe they made a mistake which Rich said the company said they were sorry and said you know what anybody that goes to Cedia just assume they're all bloggers and I think, I think that's what they did. I think either intentionally oh, yeah. or accidentally, they sent a press pressy email to an attendee list. Yeah. So I'm sure yeah, there are people that, that don't is have what it sounds like. that got that... this. I was registered as press, and I didn't actually receive <laughs> yeah, Actually, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get this either. Yeah, and you can you, you figure that the PR guy took a shot, right? He was like, if I can get them a bunch of interviews or a bunch oh. of write-ups then I can probably raise my rate. And this time, it just didn't work out for him. So let me get this right. There's probably an email out there somewhere saying, please use our product that Phil and and Sarah are going to get in the next couple of days. Yes. Instead of the... ESCs, when you're on site, remember to mention our product. (laughs) I can tell you that when I I read this email, it didn't make me very comfy. Very nice. Very, and we very could have nice. an entire podcast about PR people in the CE industry if you wanted. Oh, yes. But, but, but the majority <laughs> of PR people, I mean, again, run very, very tight ships. And again, and this was an anomaly, and, and every industry has that. I mean, PR is not going to be any exception. You know, uh, again, it was, it was less about the PR company for me and more about the manufacturer, that they weren't necessarily checking what their – promoting wing was doing at that point yeah uh, and that makes and, sense and and that's really well, it, where again like i said i had issue as as an esc as a as, as you know as a consultant um you know again i'm not a professional writer and and that was the whole point is that it was again it it, it just felt you know again if it was accidental that's fine but it, it it felt very unscrupulous was probably the best word i could use yeah um, moving on, the uh, Tom LeBlanc from Commercial Integrator wrote a, a piece called Is Social Media a Waste of Time? And he goes on to say that, no, not really, because you have to have you know a social media presence. Uh, 
both Phil and, and all, 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 four, all four of you really are, are involved in, in the social media uh, world. Sarah, you guys have a social media blueprint mm-hmm. uh, at, at Rave Pubs. Is, is social media a waste of time, or is it something that, that as integrators and as AV professionals, not just integrators, but also you know commercial and, and resi both, or eskies, um, is, is it something that, that they have to be involved in regardless of, of, of their personal uh, preference of, of social media? I don't think they have to be involved. Um, our blueprint is what I consider a resource because I don't think that anyone has completely figured out social media for B2B spaces. But as any of the people we're talking to here today can tell you, there's a very healthy community of AV people on Twitter and on social media. And if you're new to the industry or you want to meet new people, it's a great place to find people you want to talk to and exchange information. And what I tell everyone who asks me about social media um, in our industry is that if nothing else, it's a great place to listen, um, both to your, sometimes to your customers, but also your competitors. Uh, Press in the industry is all over it. I think there's a lot of good information on there. So I think it would be a mistake to not be on there, at least a little bit, but it's not like you can't have a successful business without it. Hmm. Phil, you have uh, quite a few, few followers. Do you use it as, as more of a megaphone, or do you, are you using it as an interaction piece? Man, I use it, uh, honestly, as an interaction piece, and I don't know that I would be here with you guys right now if it weren't for social media. <clears throat> I just kind of hopped on the Twitter, and actually Matt Scott was the one who yes, turned sir. me on to AV Tweeps. Oh, wow. Hey, it, hey. Man. Yeah, man. Hashtag AV Tweeps. That's where we're at. Yep. And, uh, and that, you know, ever since, that's kind of like there's our channel, you know, my channel to, to the people. And, uh, and it, it works both ways. You know, there's definitely a megaphone type quality to it. You want to blast something out and let everybody interactivity that it provides is stuff that, you know, I mean, the, the quick turnaround time, all that. I mean, yeah, we've got email, but it's not as much fun if you ask me yeah, no, it's as, not. <laughs> as confining yourself to 140 characters or something, you know? And I mean, if you look at what Facebook's doing to the world, I mean, the, the way that it's connecting us all, I mean, it really is the future. So why wouldn't our businesses be there too, you know? So Phil got turned on to the AV Tweeps uh, by Mr. Matt Scott. Matt and, and Rich, what do you guys use? Twitter and, and also Facebook. Matt has a very nice Facebook uh, splash page, which, which he, he showed me the, the other day. Uh, what do you guys use the social media tools for? Um, I use social media for a couple of things. I, I use it both um, to connect with with our AV tweets because I know for me, especially being in Canada, when I first got into the industry, I didn't know anybody. And, you know, I, I was in the industry for quite a few years before I really started to actually develop any relationships with anybody else in the industry, um, which is a little interesting and kind of surprising. But notwithstanding, that's where I was at. So, the one thing that was huge for me was when I did, you know, I've been on Twitter for, gosh, back before it was cool and uh, back before anybody knew what to do with it, for heaven's sakes. And, uh, you know, I, I did find the AV tweets and just ended up meeting a bunch of you guys. And, you know, that's actually where I've now really developed the majority of my relationships in our industry. And it's it's been really, really good for me in that frame. The, the other side of it is that... <laughs> We do use uh, like our Omega Audio Video Twitter account and our uh, Facebook account. 
we we do use it as well for both a little bit of marketing and uh, a little bit of you know actual you know working towards creating relationships with customers. Facebook is fairly good for that. We found it's been really big from a um, more of an information piece. We we do find that a lot of the younger customers um, that are more entry level and looking to start in our industry, not from a work point of view, but from a, a consumer point of view, they're more likely to stay on our, our Facebook page than they are to actually go to our website. Hmm. Um, and I don't have any like huge stats or anything for that. I've just, that's what we've found. So we're in the midst of, you know, upgrade, continually trying to upgrade our Facebook page so that those customers who are in that, you know, really under 35 bracket, once they get on Facebook, they don't really want to necessarily leave Facebook. So, so we're trying to provide some basic or, or a little bit beyond the basic information on our Facebook page so that they can actually, you know, learn a little bit more about us without leaving Facebook, which they seem to like. Now, do you get um, interaction from your customers or is it more interaction from the AV tweets? On our Facebook page, we get a little bit from customers. We get a lot of we get a lot of views. Um, the interaction on Facebook has been a little it's it's been spotty. As far as Twitter, we get tons of interaction with our Facebook tweets, um, but we also do get some interaction with customers. I know I was on the social media panel at Cedia, and I told a story about one of the customers that we actually found, discovered, and sold one hundred percent through Twitter, wow. which it wasn't it wasn't a big job by any means um but it was a nice little again it, it was that uh you know Validation. that under yeah and it was that under 30 market that um we're trying to hit in addition to everybody else is that the magical the, age 30 35 well i don't say i don't want to say it's the magical age but it it's an interesting age because you get a lot of people who are on it at that age point um you know anywhere in there uh, not against anyone who's older in our age point, but <laughs> um, be careful, it, Matt. I, that's why I said it very <laughs> delicately. I already, uh, you know, mess with John Siaka enough. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where that is a huge age demographic that's on Twitter that are using it, and that's becoming their main source. Yeah. Um, so it, it's something for us. You know, again, this this guy was that age point. We found him. He was local. And not only did I enjoy completing the entire transaction over Twitter, he loved it because he didn't have to go to a retail store. He didn't have to, you know, get off the couch. He could do it at times that were convenient for him. And again, it was a lot more fun than sending a bunch of emails back and forth. Yeah. So it, it's one of those things. I, I'm not, you know, and I do get asked this a lot, especially when I mention that story, is, well, you know, how are you going to sell this every day from Twitter? And you're not. And anyone who thinks they are is going to most likely fail miserably. Because Twitter is one of those places where, like for me, the way I view it is it's like 95% communication and engagement and maybe 5%, maybe, where you're actually trying to sell something. And it's something where, like for this project, yeah, the reason we were able to sell uh, this guy his gear was because he posted something in reference to one of our big box stores in the lack of selection. And I started a conversation with him on it. Hmm. So if, if I hadn't have done that, then we wouldn't have got anywhere. But it was you but being proactive I, though. That was, it was exactly, you seeing exactly. that and, that's, and engaging that's him. That's what it is. Yeah. Like we have sent out the, like one thing that we do a lot is, 
if we're gearing up for a big job and we have boxes full of speakers or, you know, boxes full of gear or whatever, a lot of times I'll, I'll shoot a picture real quick, post it up to Twitter and say, man, I hope tomorrow's going to be nice because we're digging in all these in-ground speakers. It's going to be awesome. And that, again, it's not like a huge sales point, but it's something that, you know, catches people's attention and they see this box full of like Polk, you know, stat thirties or something, or, you know, whatever it is, or they see a bunch of Crestron gear or, or hopefully Lutron gear. Cause we love selling Lutron, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it catches their attention and they're going to do it and follow along. And hopefully, you know, again, just start a conversation. That's, that's something that's been big for us. No, you're probably not going to sell a boatload of gear and a boatload of projects through Twitter or through Facebook. But what you are going to do is you're going to, you know, build your reputation as the, you know, maybe that go-to company in your city or in your region who, you know, is going to hit that big market. Well, not it, only that, but you're, you're going to engage your, your, your pe- exactly, people. Exactly. You're engaging you. your community. Yeah. And as long as you're willing to, you know, give something out there and, you know, throw something out uh, as far as, you know, be helpful and not, you know, it's one of those things. If you, again, try and commoditize, uh, commoditize the entire thing and, you know, literally just try and get a $115 service call out of some guy who's complaining that his, you know, cable system sucks, you're not going to get anywhere. No. But if, as you start to build that and, you know, you just give a little bit back into that, you know, local Twitter community or whatever, you know, area you're reaching, it can reap some very good benefits. And that's, you know, for us, that's what it's done. And that's what we've seen happen. So it, it's good for us from both a business side, from both a personal side, uh, as far as us just being able to connect with all of you lovely people um, and my hair. But, and, and you know, it's hair. just, and, and my, yeah. If you, if uh, you want to, I was waiting for a slot to, you know, Start of the call. <laughs> at Matt Scott's hair. hair Quote at Matt Scott's hair. Follow it if you would, please. Soon getting its own Facebook fan page. That would be excellent. Hey, no, I, no, it's there. Oh, it's there. Excellent. It is there. It's just I haven't done – I was bad. I, you know, we were in our social media class, and uh, Kim mentioned Facebook pages and stuff, and I got thinking, and somebody said something about my hair, and I'm like, you know what? I don't have a Facebook page for my hair. That's not that can't stand. Oh, so middle class, I'm sitting there. I think Rich has a picture of me doing it, and uh, created a page for my. There's nothing on it yet, but feel free not. to visit. Just put just put yeah. your hair and your and your products. So uh, a couple That's, months ago, <laughs> real quick, guys, um, Hanleywood, uh, which was the, the company that that ran Pro AV Magazine, um, shuttered it basically. I mean, the, the website was still active and, and the stories were static uh, from the end of Infocom, but they they pretty much closed the doors on it. Something that I think is cool this week, and we'll, and we'll start around with Sarah. Uh, they got bought, and uh, the Pro AV was was acquired by New Bay Media. New Bay does a lot of of publications in the AV industry. Sarah, is this a good thing for the AV industry, or is this yeah, you know, it's another magazine? Well, I'm honestly not sure what it means yet, if anything, because um, New Bay already prints several commercial publications, so I'm not sure that they're gonna you know, resume printing Pro-AV so much that they just bought the the rights to, like, the domain name and the old content mm-hmm. because, I mean, like, the editor, Brad Grimes, has already moved on. He's going to go work for Infocom, and um, a lot of the other writers are freelancers. So, I mean, to me, Brad Grimes is really, like, the heart of Pro-AV, and it was one of my favorite print publications, yeah, but I, I don't know if it's going to come back 
in the same way that it was. I'm not sure the industry needs another one. I don't know. I mean, it could be good if they brought it back, but I really think they're just honestly going to make sure that no one else buys that content and starts up it back up again and um, integrate some of the stuff that's standing into, like, systems contractor news, hmm. which really doesn't make a big difference to readers. One way or the other. Uh, Rich, do you think that they should they should uh, start it back up, or tr- should they start an Esky um, uh, magazine? The, the Esky version, uh, you know, the uh, the the, the Eskinites. Uh, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna preach to the masses. Uh, at this point, I mean, let's look at the fiscal reality. Uh, you know, there's there's the the fact that you know, so there's there's a retraction that's occurring, and, and publication is one of them, and. Uh, I view it as a consolidation, and if it's a way for me to get better information by uh, kind of distilling the best that you can from these publications into one. So if Pro-AV becomes Pro-AV slash systems contractor or slash sound and video contractor and Pro-AV, uh, you know, I'm all for it. Uh, you know, if I have two magazines who are basically giving me the same information, but the page numbers are different... You know, I'm going to have to pick one or the other at that yeah. point. There's only so much time that I have to keep myself abreast. And so, you know, at this point, yeah, I think it is. I think it's a good thing. I'm, I'm glad that at least the name is still there. Uh, you know, even though, like you just said, if Brad isn't there in the spirit and the heart and the soul, but at least it gives an opportunity to show that, uh, you know, that companies aren't just, you know, falling by the wayside one by one. I mean, if anything, is a show of solidarity that, yes, you know, we are we, we still are continuing, even though it's not the way that everybody would, would want it to be optimally, uh, at least as a start. Well, let me actually let's go around the around the around the room here, Phil. It, what do you read, if anything? And do you what do you watch? Do you listen? How is it that you get the information um, about the industry. Well, I get a lot of press releases, <laughs> but honestly, Very well you know, done, well done. Uh huh. I still I check out rave pubs, man. I read Audio Holics. Um, Thanks. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and you know that's I rely a whole lot on in the field experience. So you know I try to stay hip uh, as to what's going out with the new products and all that stuff. But you know I I mean. I'm in the field every single day pretty much installing stuff and have the opportunity to kind of make my own determinations as to what I like, what I don't like. And uh, and a lot of times, you know, we've been using some of the same equipment for years, whether it be Extron or something, you know, because it, it's proven to be good stuff. And, and I just, works. you know, yeah, I don't even think twice about doing it. But but for other items, you know, that's one of the things at Cedia I saw this year. There were so many other companies now introducing ways to distribute your HDMI and your DVI stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of options out there these days, and, and that's when I need to, to go to some of these media outlets and kind of see the reviews that are being pushed out about them, you know? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Matt, what do you read? Um, outside of – well, I always listen to AV Week podcast well, for thank sure. Thank you very much. That, that's the <laughs> oh, yeah. first, you know, <laughs> top of the, the – <laughs> um, you know, I'm like Phil. I, I read tons of uh, just about anything that Rave Pub puts out. Um, I think I get every single one of what is there six or seven newsletters now, yeah. um, in addition to everything else. Um, I do still read a lot of Sound and Vision, um, Sound and Stage. Uh, gosh, pretty much anything that's House of Worship, Pro AV, Live Video. I at least get and try to skim through the majority of them. 
Um, but for me, you know, a lot of it just, as Phil said, comes down to time. I'd love to say that I have time to read every single magazine that comes in uh, or every digital subscription that I have, yeah. but I don't. So, you know, one of the big things kind of just like Phil said is I spend a lot of time making sure that A, I'm using stuff that I know works, uh, but B, I try and read the stuff that I know is going to directly affect me. And as much as, you know, I think Engadget is cool, most of what they're talking about never really affects me. So I might skim through it, but I'm not going to read every blog post and, uh, you know, every review that they bring out on every piece of equipment, gear, or whatever. Uh, and that's kind of the same for everything else. Okay. Uh, Richard, what, what's, what is it that it's on your reading list? Well, you know, aside from doing this for 20 years professionally, I mean, I still love this stuff. I'm a fan. I mean, it's, it's, if I wasn't being paid for it, it'd be my hobby. Uh, so for me, it's, it's, you know, obviously all the standard publications. Rave is now one of my new favorites. Um, it's the fastest way, especially like the videos uh, yeah. that they provide. It's, it's a quick, you know, one minute, oh, yeah. um, amuse bouche of the, Ooh. uh, of the company hmm. that they're they're speaking with. At, at I have to steal time. that. <laughs> and Rich, uh, tell them who you stole it from. I, I used it before, but yes, I also read. And of course, he's gonna he's gonna give me nothing but but grief over mentioning. But John Shiaka's uh, writing, he writes some great stuff. He writes for Sound and Vision, uh, you know, all of the trade magazines that are out there. But surprisingly enough, where I'm getting a lot of my information these days is from Twitter. Yeah. I was going to uh, say that. I, I, it, it allows me, if, if I see that it's trending, um, especially, you know, with the AV Tweeps hashtag or AV News or, you know, any of the AV-related hashtags, if it's being uh, retweeted, is that the word? Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm still new to social media, so I'm, I don't have all the, the lingo down. Uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, I found that, uh, you know, it's definitely my quick, oh, I must, you know, I, I got to read this. You know, three people have already said, hey, you got to read this. Well, gosh, I got to read it. Uh, and I use my, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a voracious reader. So for me, my, you know, first part of my morning and the last part of my evening, um, I use aggregators. So I'll use, you know, Google Reader and, you know, I've got 10 or 15 different trends and then I just go quickly through them as much as I can and, and consume as much as I can uh, within a given time. And, you know, I like that because there's the ability for me to at least go back in an archive if I've got a couple of minutes here and there. And uh, I, I can't go without mentioning uh, Julie Jacobson. And uh, mm, CEO, yeah. who is the you know the new ESC uh, grand dame of AV? I mean, just her stuff is just phenomenal, uh, and so I, I tend to follow them and Resi Systems as well. You know, because again, my, my primary focus is residential, yeah. so I keep abreast of of, of the pro side. Uh, but you know, my focus is definitely Resi and high end. So you know, I'm a stereophile guy still. I'm an absolute sound guy. I, you know, I'm the guy who will sit and you know read about you know fifteen thousand dollars you know speaker cables or interconnects and go, wow, this is awesome. Um, I'm kind of weird that way, um, but you know, I dig it. You know, because I you know I love music, and so uh, for me, it's it's you know not only the technical side, but learning about even just the making of music. Uh, and you know the entertainment side and the movie side, and so uh, so you know it, pretty much anything I can get my hands on. But I've got some staples, and my new my new way of getting it right now in terms of my hot list is Twitter. Oh, very good, Sarah. You are at Rave Pub, so beyond the uh, the fifteen thousand publications you guys have, what how is it that you get information? <laughs> um, well, like Richard said, 
well, I consume a lot of information. I read other publication stuff, but um, Twitter has really become my main source. I check it multiple times a day um, and get and see what other people are saying, and I pick up new bloggers that way, and sometimes we invite them to blog with us. Um, it's really the best way to find new content. And Rogosadesign.com. Rogosadesign.com. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's probably my best. It's morphed into the way I get immediate news, really. It's a, it's a good way. Um, I think that'll be, be uh, it, it for us. I, I read Rave Pubs uh, probably once every two or three days, and I am just like you guys. I, I do the... Uh, the Twitter thing, and you know, search on the AV news and also AV tweets uh, is is where I get most of mine. Uh, do you guys have anything else? Anybody? Uh, I got a little something. Yeah, I got a little something. You know, I do, Tim. Oh yes, hang All on. All right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Tim and AV Week bring the savoir faire. We're busting out discussions, this and that, what, where, dropping true insights, <laughs> and that stuff's rare with Rave Pubs, Uncle Richie, and Matt Scott's hair. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> There's no way to follow that. With with that. Yeah. With that, uh, we'll go around. Uh, you can find you can find Sarah Abrams at Rave Pubs. Uh, Matt Scott is of course at Matt Scott's here on Twitter, but you can check out his website Omega Audio Video. Uh, Rich Fragosa is R A Fragosa. What is your website again, Rich? It's FragosaDesign.com. One word. Okay. And Phil is the AV professional. Uh, you can find all kinds of videos and, and blog stuff on his website as well. Uh, I'm Tim Albright. I thank you for listening, and thanks for checking out AV Week. Tim and AV Week bring the savoir faire. We're busting out discussions, this and that, what, where. Dropping true insights, and that stuff's rare with Rave Pubs, Uncle Richie, and Matt Scott's hair. <laughs>